Often individuals will say that sports are very much like life, that they emulate things in life. And what we find is, is that there are rules and regulations in the realm of sports regardless of the activity. And in the same way, there's rules and regulations in the different things that we do in life. For example, I might be an individual engaged in a business endeavor, and to do so successfully, I not only have to have a good business strategy, but I have to comply with the rules and the regulations that are over the operation of a business. If I don't, I might be accused of fraud. If I don't, I might have my license revoked. If I don't, I'm not going to be able to complete the task that I set out to do. In the same way, we can think of the natural world. You and I go through this life. We look at the beauty of the world around us. We enjoy the things that are here. But there are rules that govern how we function in the natural world. God did not design for you or for me to fly unaided. No matter how much we may positively, sincerely think gravity will not pull us down when we leap off that high building, we're going to go splat on the ground. The same thing is true on icy road conditions. And individuals think you can travel at the same speed you're used to traveling at, and the next thing they know, they're in a horrific accident, like we learned of some individuals over this past weekend in different parts even of our state because of uh, carelessly driving on slippery roads and not observing the proper rules. Well, the same is true for us as human beings. God has given us the blessing of life. And you and I are told that we need to follow the regulations that he has put in place for our lives. And Solomon has been addressing that very issue in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'd like you to turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. When we can look at what God wants us to understand in the instruction we find here. I want to begin reading in verse 7 of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. The light is pleasant, and it is good for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if a man should live many years, let him rejoice in them all, and let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. Everything that has come will be futility. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood, and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood, and follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes, yet know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, because childhood and the prime of life are fleeting. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. 
And we're coming to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, and I hope by now you're beginning to recognize that Solomon is writing this work not only as an individual giving a persuasive speech or lesson, telling us that there is an appropriate response to what he's teaching, but he is also addressing it in the way of a philosopher. Now, philosophy is good. But what I need to recognize is that the premise of the philosopher will determine the conclusions and the ideas that are espoused. As a Christian, I am a philosopher. Philosophy is the combination of two Greek words, Sophia, wisdom, and logos, Matters concerning philosophy, the love of wisdom, matters related to wisdom. God's people of all people are individuals that should love wisdom. And what you find in this book is that Solomon is providing us with one of the most fundamental foundational questions for any human being. Now, this has nothing to do with the biblical directions of philosophy, but thinkers in every age have wrestled with the very issue that Solomon is addressing. Tolstoy, you know him about a tale of two cities, but in a work called Confession, he said the following. At about age 50, my question was the simplest of questions. Lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of my whole life? What will come of what I have been doing today or tomorrow? Why should I live? Why should I wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus. Is there any meaning in my life that the inescapable death which awaits me does not destroy? Did you hear that? Is there any meaning in my life that the inescapable death which awaits me, will not destroy. And that fundamental question is true for every one of us, every human being, regardless of their spiritual orientation. Where is their meaning, fulfillment, and purpose in life? And Solomon has spent time saying, when individuals want life to revolve around them, They want life to revolve around good things, even in this world. There's nothing bad about family. There's nothing bad about occupation. There's nothing bad about proper pleasure. But when life revolves around it, you find life is meaningless. Because the inevitable death that awaits every one of us will destroy what my life has been centered in. No wonder Jesus said it like this. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? 
How valuable is your true self? If your life focuses on the things of this world, you're going to lose. But if your life focuses on the Lord as the center of all things, meaning and purpose and eternal benefit flow from it. And so there's the fundamental question for you. You don't have to give me a verbal answer. The person that you really need to answer the question to is yourself. What does your life center on? What does your life revolve around? Where is it that you find meaning and purpose in life? And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is moving towards a conclusion, a conclusion that has established the fact that a life centered in the Lord is the one that provides ultimate joy, meaning, fulfillment, and satisfaction in life. Because there are realities that every individual has to face. Whichever way the tree falls, that's where it lies. What is already bent, you can't straighten. That God has so worked that man will never be able to find out what God's doing in this world. There are inevitable things in this world that as creatures we cannot change. We may wish they were different, but the reality is that's empty wishing. The real important issue is how do you cope with them? And that's why I used an introduction for the young ones to say, how is it you're running the race? Are you moaning and groaning every day of your existence? Why is this happening to me? Or are you an individual that's finding joy in the journey? And God provides us with directions, with rules that ought to be foremost in our thinking as individuals living in this world. What kind of a world do we live in? We live in a world that is filled with problems and perplexities, injustices and things that don't make sense. We live in a world where we have good things that happen and bad things that happen. And the old analogy of why is it that bad things happen to good people? It's a reality of the life in which we live. And you and I need an orientation in life that enables us to understand why these things are taking place and how it is we deal with them in a triumphant, successful way, not just putting up with it or enduring it. And as he does so, he has started by saying life is Uh, Light is pleasant, and it's good for the eyes to see the sun. In other words, what's he saying? It's a blessing to be alive. God, in his grace, has given you existence and being. And because of that, an individual living in this world ought to recognize the blessing it is to have existence and the fact that God is the one that's guiding and directing the things that happen. And so even if an individual lives many days, what should he do? Moan and groan and complain, not at all. That's the people outside of Christ. But isn't it a shame that far too often those who are in Christ fall into that habit pattern as well? No, he says you should rejoice in the days that God has given you. Rejoice 
in every one of them while at the same time recognizing everything is not going to be coming up roses. There are going to be times of difficulty, unexpected events that are going to take place. And the reality is, am I ready for them? And so he gives us the rules for living life. The three R's that we talked about last time. And what are they that we need to have foremost in our thinking? Number one, rejoice. Number two, remove. Number three, remember. And what I thought would be beneficial for us to do, even though we highlighted the three of them in our last section, is I want to take a little bit of time to focus on each one of them, and in particular today, to focus on what's being said in verse 9. Now, we have already seen that in this section, Solomon is addressing his attention to the youth, to young people. In other words, this idea of youth, a young man, youthfulness, would encompass you know, adolescence all the way through early adulthood. And so why is it that Solomon is focusing now on youth as he's bringing things to its completion? Well, the first would be, for us old codgers, we should know better. We should have already figured this out. In our experience, haven't we been hit with things we didn't expect? Don't we get blindsided in life? Haven't we recognized there's been good days and bad days? Haven't we seen that there's things that we can't change and alter? And instead of just putting up with it, how is it that we should get along? Well, he was saying that for adults, they should know what I'm telling the youth. The second would be that if it's the young people in school... They're beginning to formulate their philosophy of life, their outlook on life, determining what's really relevant and important. It's also the same for men and women in college. They're getting all of these great courses to help them with a foundation for their livelihood and their future, their profession, their occupation. And as they're learning these things, they need to be sure that they're well-grounded in that which gives them a worldview that faces reality. There's young people who are beginning a journey in life with a partner. And in that journey in life with a partner, to be sure that that relationship between the husband and the wife is built on the proper foundation. And so... He is addressing the youth. And what is it that he says? He says, first, rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. And follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes. Now, what you find in verse 9, you will also see again in verse 10. And that is that there are couplets that Solomon is putting together. And in verse 9, the couplets are rejoice and let your heart be pleasant. 
In verse 10, the couplets are remove vexation and put away pain or evil from your body. We'll discuss that in more detail. So he says that young people, hopefully seeing the example in older adults, recognize that one of the great benefits in life is to go through life cheerfully. If I look at individuals engaged in running a race, I want to tell you those that are moaning and groaning and complaining about the race aren't finding it any easier to cope with how many ever kilometers they still have to run. They're focusing on themselves and how they hurt and everything that just isn't happening the way they wanted it to. That's how so many people go through life. It's too hot. It's too cold. Too windy. Too calm. And not only do they complain about the weather, but they complain about things at the job. They complain about things in their family. They complain about their neighbors. That's characteristic of the natural man. Because the natural man has focused his life on himself. Me is the center of all things. And I am not finding it pleasing. Now think of it for yourself. Maybe it's family members you think of. Maybe it's people in school with you. Maybe it's individuals in the workplace with you. Which type of person would you rather hang out with? The one that's always groaning and murmuring and complaining? Or the one that's cheerful? Because the reality is both are infectious. The individual that's murmuring and complaining and grumbling and everything poisons the individuals around them. Far too often, individuals are motivated to say, well, you think you got problems, let me tell you about mine. And so we all focus on the glass that is half empty. We all focus on the negativity instead of looking at the realities that are there. A cheerful spirit is infectious also. How can you sit there and not listen to people laugh and be moved to smile, at least smile, or maybe laugh yourself? It brings an invigoration to you. In fact, when we look at it, as Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, laughter is good medicine. And what we find is it stimulates different things within our bodies that make us feel better. And so he says, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant during the days of young adulthood. What he's talking about is that you and I should be cultivating a cheerful disposition. We should be individuals who are known and are characterized by cheerfulness. And with that, he says, follow the impulses of your heart. 
and the desires of your eyes. Now, sadly, sometimes people have looked at this negatively. You may even read some commentaries that have been written on Ecclesiastes that begin to say that's a sinful way to look at things. Well, if that's true, then I sin greatly against all of my children. Because I said to them, what is it you like to do with your life? What would you like to pursue? What really is fulfilling and satisfying to you? That's what Solomon's saying here. He's not saying follow the impulses of your heart, but God's going to slap you down for it. He's saying what you are to do is to follow that which he has gifted you as and which you desire to do. Follow the impulses of your heart. You know, you hear the ads on TV or news commentary that's given at times about individuals involved in different occupations. And the bottom line is they said, find something you really like to do and you won't work a day of your life. That doesn't mean they don't do the task, but it means they're equipped for it. They find enjoyment in it. Isn't it better to have a life pursuit in the things that you're doing that are gratifying and fulfilling to you than one that is uh, a burden that you're bearing each day as you go through it? No, follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes and yet know that God will bring you into judgment for all these things. Now, if this is a condemnatory statement, which is saying something to the effect, go ahead and try to do what you want to do, but realize God is going to judge you for it. Then we can understand why he is saying that what you need to do is to back away from anything that gives you pleasure. But instead, if what he is saying is based on the recognition that he knows that even in righteous individuals, there can be a propensity towards that which is for their own harm and hurt and is not honoring to the Lord, that there is a guiding principle in light that as I pursue the desires that I have, I recognize this guiding principle that God is the one that is to be honored in all that I do. I do hate using personal examples, but I don't know how many times when our uh, kids were growing up and they were on their way out to do something with friends, they were just left with three words, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. You're going to be pressured to do things, some of which will be to your own detriment. You may even get away with things, but be sure your sin will find you out. And all we said to them was, go out, enjoy the time with your friends, but honor the Lord in all that you do. And that's what I take Solomon as saying here. It's wonderful to be alive. I can't live on what happened yesterday. I have no clue as to what will happen tomorrow. The only thing I know is today is the gift God has given me. And if I get to live many years, what am I supposed to do with today's gift? I'm to rejoice in it. 
If I'm a young person growing up, I should be an individual that is pursuing my dreams within the structure of where God has placed me in this world and the opportunities that are there. And foremost in my thinking should be that my life needs to revolve around the Lord and doing what I know delights him and pleases him. I want to pause for a moment because I think far too often we portray our God as the cosmic killjoy. And nothing could be farther farther from the truth. I just challenge you to look at this world. Why does this world have such beauty? Why do such things delight our ears to hear singing, birds chirping, surf against the sand? all of the blessings that God's put into life. How about when it comes to sitting down to eat? Not any one of us here have to grumble like the Israelites and say, all we got is this manna to eat. God gives us such a great variety, a variety of tastes, a variety of smells. God has given us all things richly to enjoy, said Paul to Timothy. And it's a recognition that God's not withholding things from us and that to center our lives in him is not something that's detrimental to us, but in reality, it's what provides us with the greatest fulfillment and satisfaction. Rejoice, young man, during your childhood. Let your heart be pleasant all the days of young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desire of your eyes, and yet know God will bring you into judgment for them. Live your life to the fullest, taking advantage of the opportunities that come, being sure that God has the first and foremost place in everything. But you may say to me today, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the problems I have to deal with. And my first response is, you're right, I don't. But the second is, Solomon's not talking about whether your circumstances are making you happy. You're still looking at the idea of joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in the eyes of those of the world who say, something has to happen to make me happy. In contrast, Jesus said, I am going to leave you and give you my joy. And I am giving you joy not like the world gives. Because how does the world give joy? In an escapist mentality. In trying to just Forget about all of the problems that we face. Where biblical joy, deep-rooted joy, is something that far transcends the circumstances. And that's what Solomon is alluding to here. If you think back with me to chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Notice what Solomon said. In verses 24 and 25. 
in light of the realities of life and the perplexities, the problems, there is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself his labor is good. This also I have seen that it's from the hand of God. If I can see that there is some value in my life and in my activities, instead of like Tolstoy saying, the inevitable death is going to destroy all of them, if I can find good in the things that I'm engaged in, that comes from God's hand to give you that perspective. And he concludes with that by saying, here's why I'm saying this. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? I can be happy. I can be like an addict and get my fix on whatever it is in this world that gives me a sense of well-being and pleasure. But everlasting joy is only found in our God. Now, should that surprise us? Because it tells me in the Psalms, in God's presence is what? The fullness of joy forever. And God in his kindness is bringing us into the sphere of his joy as we focus on him. And it's a joy that the world cannot give. But it's also a joy that the world cannot take away. It's something deeply rooted within the individual that far transcends the circumstance. And that joy is only for the Christian. Notice back in chapter 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, in verse 7, Solomon said, Go eat your bread in happiness. Drink your wine with what? A cheerful heart. Why? For God has already approved your works. My sins he's removed from me. He placed them on his own dear son. And if he didn't spare his own son for me, how will he not with him freely give us all things? God has made his children joint heirs with Christ. To know I'm never going to be held accountable for the wrongs that I've done. To know that I am clothed in the righteousness of Christ and acceptable to God. To recognize that for the righteous, the path grows brighter each and every day until the culmination we are in the glorious presence of the Lord. And instead of death destroying everything I've lived for, death is the vehicle to bring me into the presence of God. What a blessed hope. And how young people need to understand the reality of life makes sense in the Christian philosophy. It deals with the realities of all that are there. It tells you that you're going to face difficulties and struggles, but Jesus Christ has triumphed over them all and enables you to share within them. You remember Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail? Their circumstance wasn't making them happy, but they were singing praise to God at midnight. Mark like this, a Scottish missionary that I find a great delight 
Eric Little, missionary to China, was put into a camp with other prisoners because of the Boxer Rebellion. Eric Little passed away of an inoperable brain tumor. I can only imagine what it is to go through each day with an excruciating headache, with no one caring whether or not I'm suffering with it or providing me some kind of medical relief for it. But one of the universal testimonies that was born about Eric Little during the time in that camp, he was such a joyful person. Always caring about the needs of other prisoners rather than for himself. Do you know what Eric Little did? What Solomon says is to be true. He said, rejoice in early childhood. Let your heart be pleasant in young manhood. Follow the impulses of your heart. Eric Little got to run in the Olympics and won gold medals. And he said the reason he could do so is because God made him fast. Eric Little had the burning desire to be a missionary in China. And he got to fulfill, see the fulfillment of that desire as well. And I am sure that Eric Little did not choose the race course that God had for him that included that excruciating brain tumor towards the end of his life. But Eric Little had a joy that the world doesn't give. Eric Little had a joy that the world nor the circumstances could never take away because Eric Little enjoyed the reality of the joy that Christ gives. And there's our greatest example. In Hebrews chapter uh, 12, it says of Jesus Christ, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy was not the pleasantness of the circumstance. It was a horrific circumstance for him. The joy was delighting the heart of the Father. The joy was doing what the Father had called him to do. The joy was the shout of triumph at the end of that work, Tetelestai, it is finished. He had accomplished the redemption of others. So if you want to take this into the New Testament, you know what you're commanded? That is the thou shalt's for you as a Christian. Rejoice in the Lord, how often? Always. And again, I say rejoice. In everything, do what? Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And even in Philippians, he says, for, or excuse me, in Ephesians, for everything, give thanks. God's people are to be people who are characterized by genuine joyfulness and thanksgiving to their God. 
for the blessing of having life in this world, of knowing the free grace and salvation that is found in Jesus Christ, and to know that God is the one controlling their life, the race before them. And while there may be difficulties and burdens that they face, to know that the Father is working all these things together for good to those who love him. So, you got your life race to run. You can run it like most of the people in this world and murmur and complain and nothing's ever right and woe is me. Or you can have a life centered in the Lord, build on him, and find joy unspeakable that enables you to face the most traumatic and difficulties in life because we have a great God who will never fail nor forsake any who put their trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your truth and how I ask, oh Father, that you would cause us not just to intellectually grasp, but even more importantly, spiritually and emotionally to live in keeping with the reality of who you are and the privilege of knowing you and finding the all-sufficient, sustaining grace of God that causes us to triumph through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.